So we're in this series called Supernatural. Today we're talking about supernatural authority, and next week we'll be talking about when Satan goes to church. Uh, it happens. How many of you grew up in a church where um, you heard them talk about the Holy Ghost? Wait, 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 I can't, the Holy Ghost, I can't even do it right. I grew up in a church where, where we didn't talk much about it, but anyway, how many of y'all grew up and you heard of the Holy Ghost? That was better, but I'm still not getting it. Two services, I still can't get it right. Well, we grew up, I grew up in a church that, that the only time we mentioned the Holy Ghost was when the, the, the preacher opened up the King James Bible and read about the Holy Ghost. And I knew I was kind of afraid of the Holy Ghost. And I knew we were really afraid of the people down the, the road that their church, that's all they did was talk about the Holy Ghost. And so I just grew up kind of confused. Anybody grow up kind of confused about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? Well, today I want to open up God's Word, and we're going to talk about authority and how the Holy Spirit plays a part in that. We're going to look at what Jesus said. Jesus said this. So in John chapter 14, Jesus has just said to them, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Where you go? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A little bit later in that chapter, here's what he says. He's talking to his followers. And I will ask the Father, capital F, that means God the Father. He will give you another advocate. Now notice there's a capital A there. This word advocate is a, um, uh, it's a, it's a courtroom type term and it means your lawyer. Now the advocate he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. This is a Greek word that can be translated in, in various ways, but it's about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a lawyer who has never lost a case against the accuser. The accuser um, of God's people is called the, the devil or, or the, the enemy of God. So he's the accuser. The Holy Spirit's never lost a case against him, never will lose a case against him. The, the unholy spirit is not equal with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on a plane by himself and so he never loses to the accuser so Jesus says I'm going to pray and ask the father to send you this undefeated lawyer this advocate now it can also be translated comforter encourager counselor all of these things are what the Holy Spirit offers those who are believers who are followers of Christ and he's going to help you and he'll be with you forever in case you hadn't figured it out yet He's going to tell you it's the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth, capital S, Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Notice all of these pronouns. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, so he's not a feeling, he's not this gut feeling, he's not, he is a person and he is the key to understanding the spiritual war that we're in that we began talking about last week. He's the key to this battle. So here's what Paul tells the Corinthian church about the Holy Spirit. It says, the person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness. He cannot, he or she cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Holy Spirit. So if you do not believe in Jesus, you can understand that there, there are spiritual forces, but you don't have a clear understanding. So like if you go to Haiti and you ask people there about spiritual warfare, about demonic warfare, they'll say, oh, I've seen them. It's very real. You ask a lot of people in the United States about demonic warfare, and they're going to say, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, but even in Haiti or Belize or any place where they, they deal with demons on a regular basis, they don't have a full understanding of this spiritual battle. And the Bible says you can't unless you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. 
Um, so the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the comforter, the encourager, the counselor. That person of the third person of the Trinity takes up residence in your heart when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and lead, lead your life. And, and that allows you to have access to this power. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, a, is, a, is available to his followers. And that same authority is available to you. And that, that Holy Spirit dwells within you. Now, what's the big deal? Now, I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I thought the disciples had it made. They, they just had it so easy because Jesus was right there with them. He was walking there with them. If you wanted to know God's will, ask Jesus. You know, deep theological questions like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Inquiring minds want to know, Jesus, help us out. And, and last week, I told you about the little text, you know, the, the initials SMH. What does that stand for? Shaking my head, and then I put in SMBH, what does that stand for? Shaking my bald head. Well, well, wouldn't it be cool if you're about to sin, and Jesus is right there, and it's SHJH. If he's shaking his Jesus head, you're not going to sin. I mean, come on. You're going to go, oh, no, okay, right? So wouldn't that be cool? What could be better than having Jesus stand right beside you every day, 24-7? Well, Jesus is going to tell us what's better. He says in John 16, 7, it is best, not just better, it is best for you that I go away. He's talking to his same followers. Because if I don't, here it is again, the advocate, your lawyer that you need, your comforter, your encourager, your counselor, he won't come. But if I do go away, then I'll send him to be with you, to be in you. Now, according to Jesus, it's better to have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of believers than it has, is to have a physical Jesus walking beside believers. If that's true, we better figure out what this Holy Spirit does. So let's look at a couple of things. First thing is he makes us alive. He makes us alive. And the scripture says this in Ephesians chapter one, uh, 2, verses 1, and then skip down to 4 and 5. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead people need someone from the outside to make them alive. Dead people don't make themselves alive. Dead people are good at being dead. And so you need somebody. If you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you need somebody from outside of you to make you alive. And here's what it says. But because of his great love for us, God, in case you don't know who he is, God's great love for us, he's rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, you know it's going to be a good sermon illustration when the preacher brings a tarp to the stage. Hang on. Got to get this all. I learned a little bit in the first service, um, and you might want to watch out there, brother. Just telling you, I think I got Joe with some glass shards. Oh, there's some. Found them. All right, so I got this illustration here, and here's what I was thinking when I was thinking about this this week. The Bible tells us that God gave us some rules for living. He created this so he can have some rules for living. So what I did was I took this, this uh, come here, Justin, since you're right there. I'm not going to make you hold this during, but while I talk, I'll let, you, I'll let you run for cover here in a second. Turn around and hold that up. So God gave us some rules for living. You know it's serious. <clears throat> thank you, John, for bringing your gloves. Okay, thank you. Got it, bud. Now, God gave us some rules for living, and this represents the Ten Commandments. And you OCD people, in the first service, I said, you ACDC people. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. What are you talking about? 
got to be from Satan if I said ACDC. OCD people, there actually are five lines on each side. So this represents the Ten Commandments. You don't have to count them. They're there. Okay. So let's say that God has given us, and we know there's a lot more rules than just the Ten Commandments, but, but you can see the Ten Commandments, right? You got that in your mind. So God says, no other gods before me. He says all of these different things, and he says, don't violate these commands. Satan comes along and says, oh, God doesn't really mean that. And see, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. Well, what does that mean? Have you violated all the Ten Commandments? Well, no, most of them. Let's just take one. Let's just take the Tenth Commandment, and let's say, thou shalt not covet. Anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hands, anybody ever wanted something that someone else has? Let a vehicle go by. Yeah, I know. I watched you. Oh, right? And so let's just say this little tenth command. Satan tempts you just to, to violate this one. What's going to happen to the rest of the commands? You sure? You heard the, you heard the first service result. Just break that one. I really should have worn glasses. Now, here's what happens. Bible says you break one command of God, you've broken them all. Because it's like, it's like this pane of glass. Now, here's what happens. You break, you break one command and it shatters your life because God designed you to be perfect and to live with him in heaven. But, but you're not guilty of sin because your mama sinned. You're not guilty of sin because your daddy sinned. You're not guilty of sin because you were born. You are guilty of sin because there was something that Satan said, did God really say that? Now, go ahead, and you broke that one command. And according to God's word, you have shattered them all. And what we do is we try to pick up all of these pieces, and we try to tape them together and look good. Or we glue them together. This is my life. Isn't this awesome? And the Bible says you will be frustrated your entire life because God designed you for more. And so the Bible tells us that at just the right time, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. It says that he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he offers this new glass. And see the little red marks? That's the, that's the blood of Jesus applied to this. So that when you pray and ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, he brings this new pane of glass. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see all of these pieces. He doesn't see the mess you've made of your life. He sees Jesus Christ offered you new life. And when he looks through the blood of Jesus, he sees perfection of Jesus, not your shattered life. Are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? All right. You were spiritually dead God by his Holy Spirit when you ask God to save you. Well, how does he make you alive? Well, Jesus answers that question in this interaction with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, a, was a, one of the ruling authority of the, of the religious party. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It's where they got the idea for the TV show Nick at Night. I don't have any more glass, so that's the best I can do is, is you know, boom, boom. So Nick at night comes to Jesus, I think because he didn't want his religious friends to see him. He comes to Jesus. Oh, there's my baby. He's back there. Isn't he? um, way, way here. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, you have to be from God. People cannot do the miraculous things you do unless you're from God. And Jesus says to him, you have no idea. Sure, you see these miracles, but there's so much more to this spiritual world, this invisible world, and you cannot see 
You cannot comprehend the, the, the invisible war unless you're born again. Now, this is one of those moments that I, I pray to God he lets us see when we get to heaven. I would love to see Nick at night's face when Jesus says to a grown man, you got to be born again because he goes, can I enter my mother's womb? I mean, I'm just, ooh, I've already done that. It's like yesterday we were taking pictures and I was carrying Waylon over and I said, he goes, where are we going? I said, we're going to get a picture. He said, I already took a picture. He was done with pictures. I already took one. I said, I don't know, but I haven't. I already took one. He was arguing me. I, I haven't. I took one, Pop Pop. Let's go to the car. That's what he wanted to play this old car. Anyway, so here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Now, most, most translations and most uh, commentators believe, and this is what I believe, that this is just a reference to being born physically because the water breaks and the child is born. And so you have, to be, you have to have physical life first before you can have spiritual life. But look what it says, being born of water and the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. And then in case you don't understand what that means, Jesus explains it. Humans can redu- reproduce only human life. Y'all figured that out, right? You're, only, you're not producing aliens. Some, well, I don't know. I don't know. That's another argument for another day. You produce physical people. And look what it says. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So your mama brought you into this world and your mama can take you out, but she can't give you spiritual life. Your daddy, I brought you into this world, take you out, but he cannot give you spiritual life. You need a heavenly father to give you spiritual life. The moment you ask God to forgive your sins and lead your life, this new pane of glass is offered to you. And it's a gift. You don't have to receive it. But as, to, as many as received it, to them he gave right to become the children of God. You have a new authority in your life. I want to read about that authority from Tony Evans' book called Warfare. In your Christian life, you don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. That is huge. And I can't tell you, every book I've read, I've got four different books, five different books I'm going through, and they all say this. You don't fight trying to gain victory. You've already got victory through Jesus. And here's what it says. You don't say, I'm going to try to be victorious over Satan today. Instead, you say, Jesus Christ has already been victorious over Satan. So today, by faith, I'm going to live in in Christ's authority, trusting his blood to give me power over any attacks of the evil one. That's your authority if you're a Christ follower. All right, so here's what he says. One day, a butterfly was fluttering in great fright because it was being pursued by a sparrow. The sparrow kept pecking at the butterfly, eager to devour it. But the butterfly was on the inside of the window the glass separating it from the sparrow. The sparrow kept pecking, trying to get at the butterfly, and the butterfly kept fluttering around in terror at the presence of the sparrow. The butterfly couldn't understand that the pane of glass between him and the sparrow kept the sparrow from doing what it wanted to do. What scared the butterfly was that the sparrow was so close to the glass, right in his face. If only the butterfly could understand that the, that the pane of glass was all he needed for protection, no matter how close that sparrow seemed to come. Tomorrow morning, Satan is going to be in your face again. He's going to try to devour you, to ruin your testimony, to capture your marriage or your virtue. But remember that Jesus Christ has died and has slid the pane of glass in between you and Satan. The glass is red, stained with the blood of Jesus. Satan can peck at you all he wants to. 
but you have all the power and all the authority you need behind the glass. He may seem close, and he is close in this world. There's going to be a day he won't be, but right now he's close. But he can't touch you without God's permission because you are protected by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, you do not need to be afraid. So the Holy Spirit makes you alive and gives you authority not of this world to resist this evil force. And he can come close. But unless you step out from underneath the authority of God and allow him, unless you just take that away and say, nope, I don't, I don't need the authority of Jesus, or unless God your Father says, it's okay, you can refine him, you can sift him or her like wheat, like he did with Job. Satan can't touch you. Now, we don't ever, you don't ever go, ah, ah not put this on Facebook. Come on, Satan. Come on, I'll take you on. No, you do not understand this spiritual war. Because even the archangel Michael says in, in the book of Jude when he was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses, did not argue, actually didn't argue, it says, all he said was the Lord rebuke, if, rebuke you. If the archangel of heaven only says, hey, I'm under authority and I'm going with his authority and it's greater than your authority, you don't have to get into a fist fight with Satan. It's stupid to get into a spiritual fight with Satan because all you do is you go under authority. Satan understands authority and he knows there's a greater authority than him. And when you, when you are behind the pane of glass, when you call on the name and the blood of Jesus, you have all the authority you need to defeat the anyone. You've already got the victory, so you can defeat the evil one, the enemy. Second thing the Holy Spirit does is he teaches us God's will. <clears throat> he teaches us God's will. So it says in John 14, 26, so a little bit later in that same passage we read earlier, but the advocate, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? What will he do? It's in yellow. He will teach you all things and he will do what? Oh, man, y'all are good. He will remind you of everything I've said to you. So let's say you're somewhere and you don't know what to do. 2017, somewhere between Dallas-Fort Worth and Miami, I lost my passport. And people laugh at that, and yeah, that's funny. But here's the deal. I get on the plane, and because we're on a group thing, we're all sitting in different places. I get on the plane, I put my backpack up, and I get my headphones out, and I try to sleep. And we get to Miami, and, and I can't find my passport. Now, I didn't realize it until we went into the airport. We ate. We're about to get on the plane, and you have to show your passport before you can fly to Haiti. And so I did what we all ran back to the, the place where we ate, looked for my passport, wasn't there. I run back to the gate because the plane was still there. And I tell them what's going on. And so they go and they search the plane. They search my, my seat, the seats next to me, underneath the, the little back of the seat in front of them. They, everywhere, they, my, my passport is nowhere to be found. And so as I'm walking back, Janie doesn't know this, I'm walking back because it, and it's like 40 gates from this one gate to the next one to where they are. And so I come back and, and, and the Holy Spirit says, go to, a, go to the passport office. It's 1 p.m. on a Friday. Go to the passport office. And I'm like, okay. So I go back and I kiss Janie and she goes, what are we going to do? I said, you're going to go to Haiti. And she's like, okay. And so I kiss them, the, my kids, they get on the plane, they start flying to Haiti. I run outside. I'd already formulated all this in my mind. I run outside. I'm looking up the address of the passport office in downtown Miami. And I find the address, the first, um, the first cabbie that stop pulls up, he, it's like I'm speaking a foreign language. It, it, he, has no, he doesn't comprehend it. Finally, he just goes, ah, 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 whatever he said, and drove off. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Second cab, cabbie that comes up, 
I said, hey, man, I need to go to the passport office. He goes, oh, I'll take you there. My sister works there. Don't tell me the Spirit of God was not working in this situation. We get in the car. He goes, well, where are you going? I tell him the whole situation. I said, I'm going to Haiti. He goes, I'm from Haiti. Where are you going? He's not far. He doesn't live far from where we were going in Haiti. So he said, hey, that address you've got that's on the website, that's wrong. They flooded a couple of weeks ago. They've moved the whole office. If you'd gone there, you'd have gone to the wrong place. So he calls his sister and said, hey, tells her the whole story. I'm in the back going, dude, I got to get there, right? <clears throat> she says, don't come to this office. Go, to, go somewhere and, and get to his passport taken, his passport photo taken, because if you come here, you're going to waste hours. You're going to go, you're going to miss your opportunity. So he drives me to Walgreens. We find the closest Walgreens. He pulls up on the curb to get out of traffic. I go in and he sits and I said, dude, what am I? He said, oh, I'll wait for you, brother. I'm like, sweet. So I go in and, and Walgreens is not fast. And I go and I get my passport taken. He's still sitting there and he's like, all right, my sister's waiting. We pull up to the, to the uh, passport office and there are 200 people in line. And I'm going, dear, just to get in the building, I'm going, oh dear God, there's no way. And his sister comes out to the curb and meets me and he goes, this is the guy. And she said, oh, come on. So she takes me around. So by the grace of God, the 200 people were waiting to pick up their passport. There were about 12 people in line over here to get a passport. And she said, come up here to number five. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And I walk up to number five. And you go through this incredible amount of security. Two different times you go through security to get into this, this um, building. And so when I get inside, they're like, okay, now calm down. They, they tell the group, calm down. If you're in this room, you're getting your passport today. I'm like, glory to God. And so anyway, I get my passport and by 6 p.m., I left the airport at 1 p.m. By 6 p.m., I am back texting Janie saying, hey, I'm going to be in Haiti tomorrow getting my airplane ticket. This is the grace of God. What I'm telling you is if you will listen, if you're a believer in Christ, he will speak to you and he will guide you. He teaches us God's will and he tells us where to go. Look at the next verse, John 16, 13. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will do what? He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. Third thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is he gives us the mind of Christ. And this is one of the most remarkable things in all of scripture to me. Look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2. The person with the spirit, the Holy Spirit, makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And this is a quotation of the Old Testament. For who has known the mind of the Lord to instruct him? So in the Old Testament, it's like, are you really going to try to tell God the creator what to do? And then he says this, we have the mind of Christ. We, followers of Christ who are under his authority, been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we can have the mind of Christ. That's remarkable to me. That means when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you discern things about the invisible world that other people don't. They can't. They can't comprehend it. In Romans 8, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Holy Spirit. Check this out. So letting your, your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting your sinful nature control a conversation, you walk off going, well, they said this, but I heard that. This is what they meant. That's being controlled by your sinful nature, not by your heavenly Father's spiritual nature. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So if you have disorder, you have disunity, that's of the unholy spirit. It's not of the Holy Spirit. How many times in 28 years have Janie and I said, she thinks I say one thing, and I'm like, that's not what I said. Or she says, and I say, is this what you... No, it's the, it's the unholy spirit trying to 
bring confusion. So when you have somebody confused, when you have somebody thrusting out their chest, beating on their chest saying, look at me, that's from the unholy spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are complete opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. So who wins in the fight? It's a real simple answer, the one you feed. You get out from underneath God's authority and you feed the unholy spirit, the unholy spirit wins in your life. You stay behind that authority and you say, whatever you say, God, whatever happens, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be thrown into the, into the fiery furnace. And they said, oh, king, because he says, is your God able to deliver you? And they said, sure, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. Oh, God gets glory from that. And God does miraculous things with a person who has faith like that. So if you feed the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have holy thoughts which lead to uh, where was it life and peace number four the holy spirit gives us spiritual gifts look what it says in hebrews 2 4 god also testified to it and the it is salvation so the first few verses he's talking about how you can be saved and and he says this is how we know we know that jesus christ has salvation he did all kinds of wonders signs miracles but then look at this this is how you can know if someone is truly a follower of christ and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed by god's will by his will a spiritual gift is given to you at the time you become spiritually born when you are born again spiritually you get at least one spiritual gift and you get all of the holy spirit that you're going to get maybe the holy spirit doesn't have all of you yet we go through our uh, celebrate recovery our 12 steps and we begin to open up areas that that we've been holding on to and we give that to christ you get a one-time deposit of the holy spirit but you also get uh, daily fillings of the holy spirit but here's have you ever been in a sunday school class where someone's teaching who does not have the gift of teaching dear god stick needles in my eye drag me out by my thumbnails kill me please I'm serious. You want to destroy the work of God? Get, let somebody teach who can't teach or lead who doesn't have the gift of leadership. There's a gift of faith where people can, can go in, through incredible odds and say, God is faithful. Well, yeah, but where is God? Well, his word says we live by the promises of God, not by what we can see. And a person who has the gift of faith says, God's going to come through. You watch. Somebody who has the gift of giving. Now, all of us are supposed to give, and I believe the starting point for giving in the Scriptures is 10%. But someone who has the, the gift of giving gives more than that. I know, well, I know one guy personally, I, it's a long time ago, I wouldn't even recognize him today, but I knew about him. He was in my brother's church years ago. He kept giving more and more and more until he got to 90% of his income he gave to the church, and he lived on 10%. And I don't know if you know this, Rick Warren from Saddleback Church who wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, he lives on 10% of his income. In fact, he actually gave back the, the proceeds from the Purpose Driven Life. He paid back all of his salary from 19, I think they started in 75. He paid the church back for all of his salary from 1975 through uh, whatever, 2017, and now he doesn't even take a salary. He lives off 10% of his income. God says, I can trust somebody like that, and so I'll give them more. Janie has the gift of mercy. She has the gift of service. 
Here's why you have a spiritual gift, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And that actually means help the brethren, and not just the brethren, the cistern. Again, I got no more glass, so I got I to throw these in to see if you're listening. It's not what it says. It means the church. The reason you're given at least one spiritual gift is you're supposed to build up the body of Christ. And how you do that is you come physically to the location and you put your gift into action. And brick by brick by brick, God builds this church into not just a church that impacts Pan, uh, Anderson, Panderson, Anderson County, Palestine, but the world Little New Life goes to Belize. Little New Life went to Haiti for seven years. You give and you, you serve through your gift. Now, let me, let me finish real quickly with some spirit-filled advice today. First thing is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery means overindulging in all of the things that please our senses. So sexual orgies, that would be debauchery. Um, getting so drunk that you do say, act in really stupid ways, right? That, that, that's debauchery. Instead of that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does al alcohol do to you if you drink enough of it? Makes you stupid, right? It lowers your inhibitions. It lowers your, your reaction times. It, it causes you to do some things that you wouldn't do ordinarily. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. It says don't get drunk because when you drink enough, the alcohol controls you. Instead, it says be so filled with the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God controls you so that when you're walking along and he says, look at that person over there, they need a hug or that person needs a kind word, or hey, there's somebody being neglected over here, you need to do this. Whatever it is, you're listening as God's Spirit talks to you, and He will talk to you, nudge you. So be filled. You're filled one time when you come to Christ, but then you need to be, I'm just telling you, you need to be filled every day. Because I've seen some of you when you're not filled. I've looked in the mirror when I'm not filled. It's got to be every day. Number two, resist, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Have your children, those of your parents, have your children ever resisted you when what you were doing was for their benefit? No one? Some of us? Oh, dear God. Why do they resist you? They're immature, and they don't know better. Why would anyone resist the Holy Spirit of God? They're immature. They don't know better. Now, if you've been a Christian more than a, six months, you can't say, I don't know any better. You've got to go with the immature one. If you're resisting the Holy Spirit of God. What do I mean by resist? Have you ever felt the prompting to do something? So some of you have felt a prompting to go on a mission trip. Um, some of you have felt a prompting to tell someone about Jesus, to teach a kid's class, to, to go to a Bible study, to ask for forgiveness. And... and are those things necessarily fun? They're usually outside your comfort zone. Who me teach? Who me ask for forgiveness? Do you know what they did to me? And Jesus said, do you know what they did to me? Anytime you, you don't want to ask for forgiveness, just look at the cross. Because if they did that to him and he was innocent, and he can forgive, then I can forgive anything done to me. Now, when I'm thinking about this resisting, I was thinking about this. Janie's always kissing me. Always. She's like, can't get enough of this. 
is always making moves. And, and there have been some times in 28 years that I just put my foot down. I said, I am a man, I'm a human being, and I have feelings in a mind. Now, maybe I'm living in a fantasy world. And since she's in this service, I am definitely in trouble. But go with, go with me for a second. Let's say that Janie pursues me day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and I resist her. After a while, what is Janie going to conclude about me? I'm not interested. You resist the Holy Spirit repeatedly? What does he conclude about you? You're not interested. You do not want the Holy Spirit to stop prompting you because that means you're so far from God that he's just stopped. That's someone I can't trust. I'll go find someone who will be obedient and I'll prompt them instead. Stephen was a deacon and, and he was one of the first deacons and he preached this sermon to religious people who were blinded. And, and at the end of his speech, he says, he says, I see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of, the, of God the Father. And the religious people were so upset, they covered their ears and they rushed in and killed him. That's what you do when you're, look what he says right before that. Right before that, he says, you stiff-necked people. Oh, I'm going to use that on you stiff-necked people. Now, if it's not you, don't, don't get upset. But if it's you, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And they were so resistant to the Holy Spirit that the unholy spirit filled them and they killed the man who, who was so like Jesus that he says, as they're killing him, he says, Jesus, please do not hold this against them because they don't even know what they're doing. So don't you resist. Second thing is don't, or the third, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Be filled, don't resist, don't grieve. It comes from Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if, if resisting is failing to do those good things that God prompts you to do, then grieving the Holy Spirit is just flat-out disobedience and sin. I don't care what the Bible says. I know of at least a couple people who've said, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do this. That is grieving the Holy Spirit. So I call these sins of omission and commission. So years ago, I was in a church, and, and, and I was a youth minister, and there was this guy. He was an awesome guy. He was a deacon, and we used to have deacons of the week. And the deacon of the week, you get your name in the bulletin, and then you prayed, right? If it was your Sunday, you came up and prayed. So this one deacon... And, and I'm, I, I'm not even happy even proud to admit this, but this is how shallow me and some of my leaders in my youth group were. So when he would pray, he would not be finished. He would never, I never heard the guy, I was there almost five years, never heard the guy pray without saying, Father, forgive us of our sins of omission as well as our sins of commission. Have y'all ever heard a prayer like that? Well, here's what it means. So sins of omission are the right things I know to do and I'm not going to do them. So this guy would pray a long time, but man, you knew when he got to omission and commission, he was about to say amen, and we we're like, amen. I mean, it's almost like, yes, he's going to finish. I'm telling you, we weren't very deep spiritually. Sins of omission, sins of commission, the wrong things I know not to do, and I'm going to do them come hell or high water no matter what the Bible says. One of the ladies in that church said one time she was, she, she, she was a believer married an unbeliever. He becomes a believer. She didn't like it when he became a believer. 
And she said at one time, she said, oh, I'm going to divorce my husband and God has to forgive me. And I said, well, do you, did he commit adultery? Because the Bible is real clear. If somebody commits adultery, that's, it doesn't command divorce, but it allows divorce because of the hardness of our hearts. Nope, we didn't commit adultery. There's another very clear one. If you're married, and you're not supposed to marry an unbeliever to begin with, but if a, if a believer, let's say that you both are unbelievers and one of you becomes a Christ follower and one of them's not, it's, the Bible says if the unbeliever will stay with you, you, you have to be married. You can't use their, their not following Christ for a reason to divorce them. That's not biblical. Now, however, if the unbeliever walks away, the Bible says you're free to remarry. And so I, I asked her this, and she, need, she did not have a biblical reason to get a divorce. She said, I don't care what the Bible says. And, and this isn't a cause and effect, but it, it, well, in a way it is because her heart was so hardened that not long after that, I heard that she'd turned to homosexuality. And I'm not saying because she divorced her husband, she turned to that. I'm saying that her heart was so hard that the Spirit of God stopped prompting her and the unholy spirit kept enticing her that she was so far from God that she wouldn't recognize anything he said. If you resist the Holy Spirit long enough, if you grieve the Holy Spirit long enough with choices to sin, eventually he's going to say, you're on your own. Worst words in Scripture are God gave them up to their own desires. You're going to wake up and you're going, why, why am I not sensing God? God hasn't moved, you have. God's Holy Spirit, when you do that, when you say, I'm resisting, I don't care what you say, God's Holy Spirit says, as you wish. Now, why would God do that? Because when you resist and you grieve him long enough, you are saying, I pledge allegiance to a different God, a lowercase g, and I will do what the unholy spirit says. I don't care what the Holy Spirit says. And God says, I will have no other competition for God's in your life. And if you choose that as you wish, worst words in Scripture is God gave them up. To their own desires. So, there's this Holy Spirit, there's an unholy spirit. The unholy spirit is not equal to, right? So, so Satan, he's equal to, in power, he's equal to an archangel. They argued. Michael said, the Lord rebuke you because there's a higher power. God's on, in, in, in a plane, on a plane by himself. But how do you know if you're being influenced by the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit? I'll put a couple of things up here. First one is, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to contradict the Bible, ever. I'm going to quit walking on this. I ain't no telling what's sticking in my crocs. <laughs> Somebody said last night, we didn't know you, could, you would ever not wear crocs. I wore boots last night because that's what my daughter told me to wear. So. And I only tell what the women in my life tell me to wear after 28 years. Um, I don't even know what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. He will never lead you to contradict Scripture or your wife. Um, and in order to obey Scripture, you've got to know Scripture. Ignorance of Scripture is no, no defense when you stand before God. So he's always going to confirm. God takes the Holy Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and communicates to you the will of God. Second thing, way you can know. He will never lead you to do something that he has not gifted and prepared you to do. I'm, I'm pretty confident of this one. I'm 55 years old. 
I was a youth minister for 19 years, been pastor of this church for 17 years. I'm pretty confident that God has not gifted, equipped me to be the leader of the women's ministry of New Life Community Church. I'm, I'm just, I don't have the right equipment. Right? I mean, are y'all fairly confident of that too? Ladies should be going, <laughs> hallelujah. I'm pretty confident, not in my ability, but in my calling that I'm supposed to be pastor of this church, at least, at least right now. And there's nothing in the works. Nobody's pursuing this except Janie. Third thing. The Holy Spirit will always ask you to put others above yourself because that's just like Jesus. Ephesians 2, Jesus left heaven. He descended and made himself nothing and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You want to be like Jesus? You serve. Holy, the unholy Spirit's not going to tempt you to serve others. Let's look at the unholy Spirit. Here's how you know if you're being influenced. Always con contradicts Scripture. Did God really say? Did God really say? God didn't mean. Go ahead, and, go ahead and take that fruit. You'll be like God. You can call the shots. God's trying to hold something from you. Always contradicts Scripture. Number two, always leads you to do something that you are not gifted or prepared to do. All the time people say, I'm called to do this. I'm like, really? Because there's no fruit in your life. I'm called to do this. I'm like, ooh. Because here's how you know your spiritual gift. You begin serving, and this body of Christ will say, you're gifted by God to do what you're doing. That's our job as the body of Christ, to confirm your spiritual gift. Because the unholy spirit will stick people in all over the place that are not gifted because he wants to destroy the fellowship. Third thing, ask you to put yourself above others. The unholy spirit will never ask you to humble yourself and go to someone and ask for forgiveness because that requires you to serve someone else and that requires you to be like Jesus Christ. See, the unholy spirit, Satan, he was kicked out of heaven because he said, I will be like the most high God. Next week, I'm gonna read you some of his I will statements. I will do this, my throne, I will set my throne up. I will, I will, I will, which really means my will be done. And so if there's ever something that causes division in the church or division in your home, division in your relationships, that's the unholy spirit at work. If, if there's something that causes you to humble yourself for the benefit of someone, other, someone else, that's the Holy Spirit. Here's what Satan said. Isaiah 14, 14, I will make myself like the most high God. I will. My will be done. What did Jesus say on the, on, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified? Not my will, but your will be done. That's who Jesus is looking for. That's who the Holy Spirit is looking for because he can trust them with spiritual gift, with leadership, with teaching, with mercy, with service. And that's why most churches that, that you hear of are not functioning properly. Because we're so worried about me, 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 me that the unholy spirit gets all the glory and lost people say, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. We serve people into the kingdom of God. We don't serve ourselves and impact people for the glory of Christ. 
Anytime you choose your will over God's will, you have quenched the Holy Spirit. And you're not under his authority. So my question to you today, before we ever get to when Satan goes to church next week, just think over this last seven days. Whose authority have you been under? Think over the last month or last six months. If people were to look at your life, would they say, that's a person who's under the authority of Jesus Christ. They're always serving. They're always putting other people, their needs first. Or would they say, they're dominated by the unholy spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have given us clear teaching from your word about this authority thing, and you always work through authority. You always work through your Holy Spirit to bring glory to your name. And anything that, that dishonors your name, anything that dishonors other people, that tries to get us to beat our chest and say, look at me, I'm going to do this, I will do this, I will, that's of the unholy spirit. Help us to recognize that, reject it, humble ourselves, repent, and draw near to you so that you might use us. So that on that day that we walk in to meet you, because there's going to be a day, unless you return, there's going to be a day our heart stops beating. And my fear is there's some people who are listening to my voice today that when they stand before you, you're going to say, depart from me because I, I never knew you. Wake us up that there are spiritual realities that want to destroy us. Help us choose life. Help us choose the Holy Spirit. I pray in his name. Amen.